Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey everybody, welcome to God's Whole Story. My name is Ryan. I'm here today with Chris. Hey, hey. Uh, We're walking through 1 Corinthians, and it seems like what we're walking through today might have a few things we could talk about. Just a couple things. Uh, Corinth is one of those churches that, you know, sometimes when people say, if we could just get back to the first century church, I don't want to go back to Corinth. Corinth was a bit of a messy church. The first century church is actually a mess like three (laughs) weeks after it started. It's it's very true. (laughs) I mean, we've got to remember that this church, people are getting saved out of just an incredibly sinful culture. Corinth was kind of like Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. So there is like all kinds of stuff going on. So it really shouldn't surprise us when we've got some weird sexual stuff going on in the church. They're taking each other to court. There's issues with marriage and people even thinking that all of a sudden sex is a bad thing within marriage because this culture was just a mess. And Paul is engaging in the long, hard work of discipleship. It does make sense to me that if they are in like a sexually immersed culture, that Christians who are trying to do this upside down kingdom thing would end up being like, well, we don't actually do sex at all. Mm. It's a lot of times when you get a revelation of something, you swing to an extreme. Yeah, yeah. And so having limits in their sexuality, it's a natural human thing to swing to that extreme. Like, oh, we're just going to stay away from it. Yeah. And Paul's like, that's not a good idea. Yeah. In its right context. Yeah. So anyway, this first thing that we see here in in chapter five, we've got uh, a guy in the church who is uh, sleeping with his stepmother, and it they actually say like. The church is proud of this. So it seems like there was a, uh, an element of boasting. Like they're, they're celebrating the grace they're able to mm-hmm. show. Like, we accept this, we embrace this, and that's what is probably, even more so than the individual's sin and the act of sin, I think the fact that the church was somehow celebrating this was actually more toxic. Uh, I think that is probably some of what Paul's calling out here. So then after this, we see that Paul is saying, this guy needs to be removed from the church. Um, I do think there's some indication that in Paul's previous visits, like he knew who this guy was. It probably wasn't the first time this person is being addressed, but it's gone so far that this is happening. And now the church is celebrating it, that for the good of the individual and probably also the good of the church, this man needs to be removed. But even in this, we, we get a little bit hung up on this, turn him over to Satan it, just, it feels kind of like, oh, dum 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 you know, like, but he's saying so that he will be saved, so that he will be restored. Um, and we were talking before this that eventually we do see kind of the end of the story in Second Corinthians that he does seem to have some kind of restoration. I think so many people get freaked out by these kinds of passages because so many people have stories of church discipline scenarios that get dropped halfway through. Or, uh, or are done in a inappropriate way. Yeah, yeah, because... It, it takes a lot to see discipline through to fruition. Like the point is restoration. If you've listened to this whole podcast, you've, you've heard me talk about this before, but the purpose is always reconciliation and restoration. And it's very easy because of how contentious these processes can become that that never happens. And that that's a miss. I mean, my, my first interaction with church discipline, my tiny little Mennonite church Uh, There was a bulletin insert one day about what had happened to a youth leader. And this was, this was a youth leader that students really cared Mm. about and really looked up to. And suddenly they're like, otherwise private lives became literally a bulletin insert with bullet points. Um, And 
guys, like if you have an experience like that, that is not appropriate. It's not. Um, because there, there was not, and there, there remains to this day, an absence of restoration and reconciliation. So Paul's very upfront. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying we can't call people and out. And it does seem like the church was very aware of the situation. It yeah. wasn't divulging secrets um, or like shaming someone. It was, they knew what was going on. You know, and even then he used the illustration about how this is, uh, this boasting about how accepting our, it was going to affect the whole batch of dough. It was going to be like leaven there. And that's Jesus. You're quoting Jesus. Little leaven mm-hmm. leavens the whole lump. Like, I mean, Paul uses the same illustration in Galatians. Mm-hmm. Uh, that a little bit of this danger can infect and influence the whole church. Yeah. And, and and actually, we've seen this even in the context of God's whole story. We've seen this in the Old Testament, where people are radically judged um, for just bringing this little tiny, I think about Achan, mm. um, just this little tiny bit of sin is dangerous to the entire community. Uh, but it's also radically important that we handle these things with love and grace mm-hmm. and truth and forgiveness, um, not lessening the fault, but also amplifying the the desire for restoration in, in a real way. I mean, so often we say like, well, we really want to see you mm-hmm. come around. And they know that you don't. Um, dang. Lots of stuff there. And then chapter six, we got Christians suing each other. Um, and Paul is just saying, this is not a good example. Uh, that why you as believers not being able to settle your differences and you're ending up going to uh, an unbeliever to do this. Uh, And I think it's challenging how um, the challenge here is for conflict resolution and to we of all people as the church with Christ in common, there should be ways that we can resolve our differences that it's not saying that you never can do this, but it's like we, it becomes the default, I think. There's there's some theological points to this little piece, um, because he's talking about how we're designed to rule and reign over creation at some point. And so, basically, he's saying, like, are you kidding me? Like, you're designed to rule and reign, and you can't even figure out a disagreement between yourselves? Um, so, there is some future peace um, where those of faith hold a really, really mm-hmm. unique position. Um, and because of that, it's radically important that even as we live our lives today, we're able to mediate our disagreements. Dang. Does that feel, does that feel uh, convicting to anyone? <laughs> uh, we're not doing a great job meeting our disagreements. Yikes. We might not be in the courtroom, but we are definitely, uh, on the courtroom of social okay. media. Or that, I was going like to say that. that's worth, that's worth pointing out. Um, uh, the courts would have been a very, very public setting where a lot of people hmm. could view what's going on. Um, our courts today actually at, at times make a point to not be very public, um, but social media is radically public. It is. And I often think about if an un, when an unbeliever, not if, but when unbelievers see the way Christians interact oh my gosh. on social media, that's not attractive to the cause of Christ. And, I, and so in some ways, like, I think this is some of, these would be some of these timeless truths that would come out even into our contemporary yeah. situations. Oh, definitely. Because the heart of Paul here is like, hey, let's not like let's not look like fools in front of the world um, that we're designed to oversee. Yikes! I'm ready to just cut this thing short right now. We're not even into the sexual morality stuff yet. There's all kinds of stuff on that. Take us there, Chris. Let's go. Let's do it. Take a deep breath, everybody. Here we go. There's lots of sexual morality <laughs> in Corinth, and so Paul is going to call out a lot. There's a, in chapter six a large list of sins. 
including things like having sex with prostitutes, because that was very common. Uh, homosexuality was common in this day. There are a number of things here. And he does use some strong language that people who do these will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think that is people who do those and continue to do those, like never repenting, never coming to Christ, never changing. Um, it's not saying that if you've ever done it, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, just, I think that's important. But then even just down to how eventually they began to live out their marriages. Uh, Paul had to give some instruction on that because as he's trying to transform their sexual ethic, there would be this temptation to say, well, should we have any sex at all? Or if uh, I think some of the situations he's talking about chapter seven is what do you do when one spouse gets saved and still married to an unbeliever? Should we get divorced? And uh, the student pastor in me wants to point out that this is not talking about dating relationships. <laughs> No. <laughs> this is talking about marriages. It is good. <laughs> as far as dating uh dating for conversion. Just just uh, don't just don't do that. We uh yes. Don't do the missionary dating, evangelistic yeah. dating. No, this is it, think about it though and it makes a ton of sense when you're starting a new church. People don't know Christ. They've already been married. You don't always come to Christ as a couple. Like and if one of the members comes, there would be this idea of like, well, should I just leave? Should I be out of here? And we're not talking about an abusive situation. We're just talking about, should I not even be married to someone now that I'm a Christian who isn't one? And Paul says, you know, try to win them. Um, if they want to leave you because of your faith, which is interesting, because I kind of wonder if that actually happened to Paul. I think that did happen um, to Paul. You can't, you know, you've got to let them go. But if if you can stay with them and perhaps let your life influence them to eventually come to Christ, do that. Speaking about what happened to Paul, so what we're referring to is uh, Paul would have been an influential ruling Jew at some point, uh, actually part of what's like Pharisees. The, the Pharisees. Um, you could not actually be a single man and be a Pharisee. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so tradition would indicate that Paul was married at some point. Um, so that's why we're insinuating that he had some personal experience. I think that might be connected. I haven't read about this at all, but he goes really far out of his way to make sure that people understand he's talking from his own opinion. Um, if you read over, we're talking like first Corinthians seven. If you read over just first Corinthians seven, you'll see a lot of Paul bending over backwards to say, this is not God. This is Paul, Mm -hmm. which is, which is kind of unique for him actually. And he does specifically talk about, it's my opinion about some singleness things. It's my opinion about because he's believing the time is short uh, that he's encouraging these things, but he does really try to make, he just says, I think I've got a good idea here, but he doesn't go so far and to I say wonder, this is the command of the Lord. I wonder if that is because of his own personal experience. And perhaps people would have understood more than what we do today, what Paul's personal life was like. It's a good point. So yeah, there is all kinds of interesting things in these passages, and I think there's just lots of application for us to draw from. Uh, we're going to back up a little bit. The, one of the wild things about the sexual ethic that Paul's setting up is he actually makes the case that our bodies are Christ's body. Um, and so, sort of like the, the case that he's making with the Corinthians is like, what the heck are you doing uniting Christ's body with these sinful associations? Um it's kind of a helpful way to mm. think through things. I mean, the sexual ethic is confusing in our day and age. There's several, several takes on it. There's a lot of different Christian takes on it. Yes. Um, but I do appreciate what Paul's setting up here. Like, hey, are you seriously inviting Christ to enter into this kind of a relationship? Like, you guys are nuts. You got to stop this. Um, and I know that there's there's a lot of hot takes on sexual ethic, but I think 
you know, particularly as that's becoming a hotter and hotter topic in our day and age, it's really important to be informed by God's word on what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, not, you know, actually I could point back to yesterday's episode, not what some cool pastor thinks or not what some other influential voice thinks. Like, or not what loud voices in church think like we saw in chapter five. Just actually what, what the written word says. Mm. Um, it's, it's a, that is applicable in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. but particularly when it comes to sexual ethic, because there's becoming a lot of noise in that area. Yeah. And I think uh, just knowing that Paul's writing this to the kind of culture that he is makes it even more applicable. You know, this isn't a monastery. This isn't a nunnery. Yeah. This is like, I mean, this would have been a big deal Incredibly in this culture. And sexually active community. Probably a lot of people would have looked at this and said, this is crazy. Yeah. Um, but he's... Telling the church to live differently in this kind of a culture. Is it Corinth where the the prostitutes were walking the streets like every night, just calling out like, "Hey, who wants to come out and worship tonight?" I mean, there was the uh, Temple of Aphrodite was there. Yeah, and so I, this is it is it's Corinth. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's wild. Live in Las Vegas, Corinth style. Yeah, I think probably worse than that. Probably. All right, guys. <laughs> what a note to end on, huh? You got something better? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll be back with God's whole story tomorrow. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 8. We'll see you then. Bye. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting verse 1. So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Now a person who has been put in charge as a manager must be faithful. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time, before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. Dear brothers and sisters, I have used Apollos and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. If you pay attention to what I have quoted from the scriptures, you won't be proud of one of your leaders at the expense of another. For it gives you the right to make such a judgment. What you have that God hasn't given you. And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? You think you already have everything you need. You think you are already rich. You have begun to, you have begun to reign in God's kingdom without us. I wish you really were reigning already, for then we would be reigning with you. Instead, I sometimes think God has put us apostles on display, like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. For we have become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. Our dedication to Christ makes us... L- Look like fools, but you claim to be so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so powerful. You are honored, but we are ridiculed. Even now, we go hungry and thirsty, and we don't have enough clothes to keep warm. We are often beaten and have no home. We work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us. Yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash right up until this present moment. I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you, as my beloved children. For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. That's why I have sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of how I follow Jesus Christ, just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. Some of you have become arrogant, thinking I will not visit you again. But I will come, and soon, if the Lord lets me. And then I will find out whether these arrogant people just give pretentious speeches or whether they really have God's power. For the kingdom of God is not just talk, it is living by God's power. Which do you choose? Should I come to you with a rod to punish you, or should I come with love and a gentle spirit? I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. 
I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I am not with you in person, I am with you in spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you will throw this man out and hand him over to Satan, so his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that in that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival not with old bread of wickedness and evil, but with new bread of sincerity and truth. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin, or are greedy, or cheat people, or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but a scripture says you must remove the evil person from among you. When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to the other believers? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things amongst yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I am saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat to you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right by God, with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our Lord. You say, I am not allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food was made for the stomach and for the stomach food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually part of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scripture says that you are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as, as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God brought, bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, 
But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill the wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. But I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried, just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. But for those who are married, I have a command that comes from not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave the wife. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace." Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you, and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. For instance, a man who has circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. And the man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised now. For it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commandments. Yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Each of you, dear brothers and sisters, should remain as you were when God first called you. Now, regarding your question about the young woman, the young women who are not yet married, I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain as you were. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles, and I'm trying to spare you those problems. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or, or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, 
A woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best, with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks that he is treating his fiance improperly and will inevitably give up into passion, let him marry her as he wishes. It is not a sin. But if he has decided firmly not to marry and there is no urgency and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries his fiance does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. But in my opinion, it would be better for her to stay single, and I think that I am giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, it means a lot to us, even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, if you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, we would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, you can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcasts at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you. And if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.